Welcome to the continued podcast adventures of Superhero Speak. But I think many of the people that love this character and that love superheroes in general have used these stories as inspiration to say, you know what, I'm going to do something good in the world. I'm going to make a difference like my hero when I was a kid. That is my fondest memory of it because when, you, when you're doing comic books, you want them to affect people. Right. You want people to care. You want, you want to strike emotions. And I knew that that clone saga was striking a lot of emotions. Can you yep. imagine uh, Pulp Fiction starring Goofy and uh, Mickey Mouse? I can totally <laughs> imagine that. You I'm sure somebody's written that one. Pounder with cheese and France, Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Boy, ale with cheese, Mickey. Yeah. <laughs> I can totally see. I, I, would, I would watch the hell out of that movie. Yes, I gladly saw, sacrifice that my. my progeny to you of a mighty marvel beast <laughs> <laughs> but neil adams is somewhere going mm, it's, it's my time uh, <laughs> how do you measure success hey everyone and welcome to superhero speak i'm your host dave and john you measure success by the length of that intro jeez that thing is long <laughs> jd by the way Yes, it's clips from some of my favorite episodes over the years. I need to redo it at some point. Because I think we might get a new favorite clip tonight because we have a guest, guys. So so we have to behave ourselves. <laughs> Be our guest. Making his seventh return to this podcast. The one and only Troy Brownfield. How are you doing, sir? Great. Thanks, guys. Yeah, like I said earlier, I appreciate being asked anytime. And until I saw... The post earlier, I honestly did not recall it being seven. That's crazy. That's I, I, does that seem it returning champion status? I don't know how many. Sure. Is there a seven club? Is there a jacket? Yes, yes. It's in the mail. Don't worry. It'll get to you eventually. <laughs> yeah. Last time was August 7th, 2018. Wow. It's been a while. Yes. Yeah. It has been a while. Anything wow. happened since then? You can answer for all of the predictions you made for the DCU back then. Oh, man. I have to. <laughs> I have to think about that. You thought we were keeping Wonder Woman and Aquaman, I think. <laughs> Apparently, we're throwing the whole kit and caboodle out. So I think the biggest change is that we're now live on Sundays streaming. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. That's all JD's fault. And we're doing well, if I do say so. <laughs> do you see these numbers that we're getting for our replays? I emailed Dave this week. I'm like, dude, this is unbelievable. We're doing very well. Kudos to you, cool. sir. <laughs> and i'm done with that for the night for the night no you're not okay <laughs> you got someone's got to toot our horn so how are you guys doing how are you john you were telling me something <laughs> you were telling me something before we got on air i don't know if you want to repeat it or not oh what i miss seeing as how we don't have any low bar anymore apparently <laughs> no i went to my sister and her husband went on vacation so i went up to connecticut to watch my nephews for a week and about two and a half to three of those days, I had food poisoning, which was just lovely. Yeah, I spent almost a half a day comatose and the rest of the time not really knowing what was going on and other things that come with food poisoning, which is just not. It, yeah, my voice is a little, <clears throat> a little off. And uh, but otherwise, I made it through. I got it home, obviously, as you can see. And uh, and Yeah. That's about it. That's there's not much more that I can say about. It's very John O'Grady to have a vacation and be absolutely miserable. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, very much. I, I did get to play D and D with my nephews and a really good friend of mine, a guy named Dave, who I've known since high school, and his son. 
and we knocked some heads. I DM'd a game with fifth edition and it went pretty well. So at least I got to do that. We watched a few movies. I plied my nephews with Galaxy Quest and Shin Godzilla. So nice. you know, a couple of good ones there. All right, let's not get on a Dungeons and Dragons rant this episode. <laughs> Played some D&D, followed it up with a nice little BM, and then it was all good to go. <laughs> oh, how about you, J.D.? And how are your BMs? <laughs> <laughs> no strange BMs over here. So this morning I had to stream the graduation ceremony, which I completely forgot that I had to do until 10 o'clock at night last night. So I'm like, oh, yeah, how the hell do I do this again? So I was trying to figure out how to do a live stream with the camera, and I realized... I'm missing half my equipment. It was 10 o'clock at night and I couldn't go buy anything. So I had to get up at six and run to Walmart and cobble together what was necessary. Long story short, I got it done just barely, just uh, barely, but it worked. David, so I know good. what that feels like. Oh, yes. That's it. Nothing cool. That's it. Bad, nothing cool this week. Oh. Very slow. Finals. We got finals this week. I'm excited. Oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. I'm, I've had a, I haven't had a real summer in forever. Kassan, D&D, let's discuss the new playtests. No? Oh, no, I don't, I don't know what that means. Someone want to translate that for me? Yeah, it, let, translation. Oh. We, let's not open that can of worms right now. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think Kassan, I think we need like a small extra podcast per week with Kassan just throwing out oh, stuff. I think that's not a bad idea, actually. We're going to have to get him on the, we will have to get on him the show, show eventually. Yeah. All right. Dude, so how was your weekend? We skipped you. You mm. skipped me. Wow. We did. We went for me. We did John's miserable vacation. How are you? <laughs> I, I'm doing well. I'm pretending for the cameras right now. What's wrong? <laughs> Just had a horrible weekend. Oh. Don't want to get into anything right now. I'm sure she's watching. And Enough said. <laughs> yeah. We so. are just such a downer this time around. I know. Welcome, Troy. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully so, you so had a better week. Bring us the sunshine, man. Uh, let's see. My... And this might blow your minds a little bit if you have context for stuff I said in the past. But my oldest son's getting ready to graduate high school this week. So that's probably crazy to you guys. The first time I was on, they were small. And so they're 18 and 16. And so Connor is getting ready to graduate. And that's the word deep in the, all the, that kind of cycle of events where you have lots of awards and whatnot. And he's in journalism, speech and debate, and Kyle's in TV for the school. And so, they all had banquets <laughs> and awards. There's like a senior honors. So it was just like, it's been this big whole thing. And then we're having a party for Connor here, which, you know, is normal, but we're also doing a lot of work to get ready for it, as you would expect when you have lots and lots of people coming to the house. So it's one of those things where it's a lot of stuff. It's a very busy time. And you might, maybe you don't remember, I've done cards for tops off and on for a yeah. long time freelance and of course there's stuff <laughs> this week or it's like hey you think you can squeeze it yeah sure why not <laughs> let's just go completely mental but no it's i'm not going to complain about any of it this is a great time for connor he's pretty happy he's going to indiana state he got a nice big scholarship so it's very cool so sycamore that's right. That's my wife and I went there and we did not exercise a particular influence on him for that. You know, it was, he was leaning toward it. And then when the other happened, it helped <laughs> yeah, as, as it would any, anytime you get offered a, a big deal, then it is persuasive, but right. they've got the stuff he's interested in. And 
he's going to be, and, and I say this because it's relevant and vaguely hilarious, he'll be a English slash creative writing major with journalism minor, which means that my friend Justin Penniston is right. I failed to warn him uh, <laughs> all this time. I, yeah. I have enabled and encouraged and my fault, guys. But he'll be great. He's said it a lot. He was, when he was 13 and doing stuff for the school paper. And then as he got older, I said, he's better at that age than I was at that age. And then as he got to, hey, Paolo, oh boy. <laughs> as we, as he got to, his teen, late teens and everything, he's really done a tremendous job with his writing, his school journalism and so forth. It's got to be so cool as a dad to watch that and to see your kid live those things out. Like mine's just seven, so he's just starting to really blossom into a human. It must be really cool on that end. Yeah, you got plenty of time to ruin him. That's how I feel sometimes. I understand. And I'll say, you give Kyle some equal time. He's very into film. And uh, with the TV station, he did a couple of short films for the student TV. He's very into horror movies. He bought a green screen set up a few months ago. He's been doing some movie reviews on Instagram and whatnot. He's very, and he's got great taste in movies, not just horror movies in particular. He's very classic foreign, what have you. He's very inclined to seek out all kinds of stuff. He loves 12 Angry Men, got into Lynch. So he's, his tastes are expansive, which is great. So he's going to. Do I'll make interesting things. <laughs> so I dig it. It is, but like you said, man, it's very cool when you're, there's all kinds of stuff that they do that's just, wow, I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah. My kids didn't want to follow in my footsteps. I don't know. <laughs> all right, so we're going to, we're going to, we're going to move on to JD's favorite topics, social media madness. <laughs> it's a little different this time. We have a couple of, comments but then kassan threw a lot of stuff at us this week. he always does <laughs> he's like keeping us on our toes which i appreciate um, it's good and I'm, it's always interesting to get a guest's perspective on things so of course not long ago we talked about the rumors that adam driver it's <clears throat> confirmed that he signed on to, to do a marvel movie the fantastic four we don't know who he's playing yet the rumors are saying reed richards and so we we, we said we'd rather see him as doom and uh, ra- first off, Randy from Cult 45 said, honestly, anyone could be cast for Reed and also play Doom. That SNL episode of Adam Driver is very funny and just goes to show how committed he is as an actor. Yeah, I have nothing against him as an actor. I, just, I don't see him as Reed Richards. What do you think, Troy? I'm curious. It's, it's interesting that you guys feel that way because I, I do think he'd be a great Doom. And I think one of the things that he would be great with is the fact that he has worked behind a mask. And I think he's done enough that he doesn't get stereotyped because some people, they might be afraid to be the person behind a mask too much. But when you look at his career, he's he's done marriage story. He's done Jim Jarmusch movies. He's done a lot of things that show his range and SNL. Of course, the (laughs) Abraham H. Parnassus, the career day is a, classic it's just this stone cold classic that's got a big life beyond even the show like his yeah his commitment level even in small bits is enormous so i think that as doom he would be great as reed he could do it because he's that good but it's not he wouldn't be like my first choice i'd be really interested to see what he did i bet he would lean more toward the disconnected awkward 
read that we see in in recent years where he was trying to have a conversation with him and he he's like blowing up the negative zone and not paying it <laughs> i could see the spin of adam driver in that but i really like you guys i would prefer doom if he was gonna be we've already had the disconnected read in fan four stick so yeah <laughs> rather yeah i mean he he has the personnel I, I think he's got the personality for reed except for the fact that there just needs to be some underlying charisma somewhere and and driver could probably do it but he just he's more menacing he can do I menacing think really well i don't think there's a lack of charisma of adam driver i don't think that's an issue yeah i know but i don't know just some, eh, just a feeling but then again he's so versatile maybe you just pull it off and i mean, you know, I, also, him, but I think he could I also kind of feel like people are a lot of people judging him solely as Kylo Ren. Yeah. And I feel like yeah. that's just one one aspect of like he's been in a lot of stuff and yeah. Kylo Ren is meant to be angsty. Like the character was meant to be angsty and that's yeah. why he's so good in it. Did you see Marriage Story? That's the most angsty movie ever made. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty angsty too. But he didn't get to see 65 and he was Me neither. I heard it was good. I heard it was pretty fun. I want to see that yeah. one. <clears throat> what? Ran- I'll do this. Randy says oil is the earth's milk and only the strong can suckle at its teeth. What the fuck does that mean? Is that from the <laughs> SNL? I have yeah, no idea. The SNL. That, oh, okay. I forgot yeah. about that. Oil is my business, children. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. Point to the weakest among you and I will break his spirit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, the, all right. The boys and I like reference that all the time. So it's I'm moving on. Of course, Kassan made us aware of this, and I'm sure he did it because you're such a Stephen King fan there, J.D. He forwarded this tweet to us. Stephen King said, I got an advanced screening of The Flash today. As a rule, I don't like superhero movies, but this one is special. It's a heartfelt, funny, and eye-popping. I loved it. Of course, it's set in Maine? Is that why he's (laughs) 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 Write what you know, right? Isn't that... Come on. Got two writers down here below. They could attest to that that was main i'll give him that yes <laughs> that's high praise, so, so we've been, high praise obviously we've been going back and forth on this a lot because it's like the dc movies haven't been great and then all the trouble with ezra miller and it was like yeah do we want to go see this film then the previews come out or not the, yeah the previews come out we were like oh this looks really good so where do you stand on it troy at this point yeah i too have felt that similar poll of the Man, Miller has really <laughs> buried Miller <laughs> with yes. a lot of things that have gone on. So it made me way less excited. And I feel like I don't have a lot of urgency necessarily to see it, tempered with knowing that I'll eventually see it. I'm, it's one of those things in the middle. King, it, I find the King bit interesting because King in particular, I love King, but I think he's a fantastic recommender of books for sure. And I've never felt steered wrong by films he talks about too much either. And if you read Dots with Carver or On Writing and various, he gives laundry lists of recommendations. He did a mm-hmm. bustle interview several years ago where he recommended like 11 horror novels at the time that were great. And that's how I found Paul Tremblay. That was A Head Full of Ghosts was what he recommended. This right. is, That was his... He had done a couple of novels before that, but Headful of Ghosts was kind of the breakthrough for me. And then he did Cabin a couple novels later, which obviously just got the big budget treatment. But it's King's a great recommender. He's pretty thoughtful in his reviews. If you remember the Pop of King column he had in Entertainment Weekly, he'd really break stuff down okay, and yeah. talk about 
you talked about the Hunger Games series when it first started in novels. So he's a big consumer of books and film. And he's, and like I said, he's thoughtful. He, he kicks it around. <laughs> it, it's, he has visceral reactions like all of us do. But when, if he's going to put the, the time into saying this is a special thing, then he must, something must have really connected with it I, outside of Maine. But, uh, I was going to say that, like, he has downed a lot of superhero movies. I and mean, I can understand he doesn't like the genre. It's so not his him, thing. Yeah. It's not his thing. And I can respect that. So for him to come out and say, this is heartfelt and it's good, it's, oh, okay. So, um, I mean, unfortunately, we have a podcast and we've got to go see it to talk about it. But <laughs> right. <laughs> his movie's got to be good for people to put up with the sociopath as much as they have. <laughs> it's all i can keep coming up with man and like you said king is a great recommender of things i go back to the evil dead and they put that first evil dead one sheet on what's yeah. right on there stephen king recommendation and that really helped the buzz get out about the original evil dead movie was the fact that the most popular american writer at the time said this is great go see it yeah 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 Raimi still talks about that <laughs> as the original seal of approval for that all right so moving on i asked our audience a question and the thing i love about social media is everyone liked it because there's a picture and no one commented (laughs) (laughs) except for one person all right so the question i put out here let me bring it up that of course in a couple weeks we've got into the spider-verse coming out and or across the spider-verse and adam spielberg is the voice of ben riley scarlet spider but my question is since he's a clone of peter parker shouldn't jake johnson voice him as well it's from a different universe sir (laughs) And uh, are you we sure? Do we know? The, the from a different universe, sir. Do we know this? The only person to comment... No, it's my default answer. That's from a different universe. Okay, okay. hold on. Randy... It's the Dan- default answer to everything. Randy <laughs> said, yeah, but friends and paychecks is one. And two, you're going to want someone who can go serious and funny. Sandberg can do that. I don't like Adam Sandberg. <laughs> that's part of the reason I asked the question to the audience. <laughs> yeah. So that's your belief is it's going to... Ben Riley's going to be a different universe. It's not going to be... Yeah, well, they're all from different our universes. universes so. They are all from different universes. There's no reason to bring in a guy from the same universe. But, okay, this seems to be, because we got Mayday, right? We got Mayday running around in this movie. This seems to be more inspired by the Spider-Girl version of Peter Parker. And that one, Ben Riley is dead. Does that make yeah. a whole lot of sense? No, but I'm going to go with it because it proves my point. Andy Sandberg, thank you, Joey. <laughs> oh, did I say Adam? You did. I'm sorry. I spent I missed- five minutes trying to figure out who Adam Sandberg was. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I don't know. What do you think, John? See, I'm looking at it from the Clone Wars standpoint where they got one guy to voice all well, these clones. Yeah, but if he was from the same universe, that storyline would have happened, but we don't know that storyline happened. So it's, yeah. the answer to everything is basically, hey, multiverse. But that, that's the conceit of this movie. It's a multiverse story. Right. Yeah. Ah, it feels cheap. <laughs> Boy, are you going to be disappointed. <laughs> hey, I was disappointed in the first one, remember? That's true. How? Some people have no soul. <gasps> I am oh, not a fan. Gwen Stacy of... was there, so you immediately checked out. Yeah, that's, hey, truth. Dave saw Gwen Stacy and was like, this is crap! <laughs> yep. Not Gwen Stacy, Spider-Gwen. Wreck so. my headphones. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Gwen Stacy in any form. And that you movie just out. so happens to get a bad review from you for some reason. 
All right, let's move on. This is something I'm sure is close to everyone in the bottom half of the screen. We, of course, have been talking a lot about the writer's strike and another article brought to us by Kassan. Apparently, SAG has authorized the actors to go on strike. I guess yeah. this is in support of the writers. Yeah, so everything Marvel, obviously, is going to be on the back burner for a while. <laughs> so, wow. So, Troy, what do you think about this? Is this a good move? The proximity is just based on the expiration dates of the deals, essentially. It's, yeah. So that that's, depending on how you feel about it, that is unfortunate timing. I support what the writers are doing because there is a tremendous amount at stake in terms of how the future technology plays out. Yeah. Payments and so forth. And part of the problem that, yeah, they had a strike and agreement and they've had some other updates to agreements, but no one reckoned on how streaming was going to play out the way that it did. And I think that people are maybe looking for a little bit of security and so forth. And it's not just a money grab. I think there's a lot of people who don't understand that in a lot of ways, writers are always last (laughs) and to get compensated, get residuals and everything. And so it's very important. And with the actors, I think that some of the similar issues are at play because you have Tom Hanks making a statement the other day that was, that's weird that he doesn't mind if he's acting after he's dead. (laughs) If they have these images and so forth that they could reconstruct him and keep him going. That's the thing. They're being, the the actors are being um, like James Earl Jones have made deals to allow their voices to be used in perpetuity so that Darth Vader can always be James Earl Jones. And he made that deal, which is interesting. It's there's a whole vocal sampling software wrapped up in it where he's committed lots of lines in addition to dialogue he's already done. So they'll be able to generate James Earl Jones as Vader for forever. I mean, he made that agreement and I, I endorse it if that's what he wants to do. But there's a lot of actors who are very nervous about not just how the structure of deals works, approvals and all that, but the structure of how their image and voice will be used in perpetuity. What kind of rights go to their families in those cases? Those are real issues. And there's all kinds of stuff right now in terms of season links and everything's changing so much. There's no guarantees and how many people can be in a room. There's just so much to it that the maddening thing is that a lot of what they're asking for right now is a big roll of about $480 million if they were to address everything. And that's still like $100 million less than Zaslav makes at Warner. (laughs) It stings when you see that kind of thing and it, and it's, it very few people are going to benefit the top end like there's a whole lot of people that will benefit by not making a whole lot of extra that they're just going to benefit by the protections and guarantees that they'll have going forward and all of them are being accosted from every direction voice actors that the contracts for voice actors are like now in, just including when you sign this contract you also sign away your voice to ai yeah. I'm sure the actors are having and the same thing with their images. Like when you sign this, we'll, we are allowed to use you when we do AI-generated stuff. And it's just, it makes sense that SAG-AFTRA would follow up with the Writers Guild because the, let's face it, this is late-stage capitalism that the studios are overstepping their bounds. And of all of the different parts of our society that are getting attacked, the writers and actors are the ones with some of the strong skills. 
And so they're going yeah. to have to lead the way in showing other, you know, showing us how how to protect ourselves from these corporations that just I mean, want to do whatever the hell they want with us. So. It's like funny. Like there's a website now, Eleven Labs. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but like you can upload two minutes of audio of anyone's voice, and it'll create a, a synthesis. It'll synthesize it, and you can make it say whatever you want. There's actually clips of Joe Rogan going around saying stuff that he's never said because mm-hmm. like there, he's got an interview with uh, what's his face from Apple founder rapper. Yes, it's yeah. him. It's, but obviously he's never interviewed him in real life, but this has been floating around the internet because mm-hmm. someone created it with 11 labs and it's uploaded your voice and it still wouldn't say anything nice about me though. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. It's programming can only do so much. Post um, in the shell. No, it's, so, it's like I was saying like the world is different, right? This things have changed so much in media rights just in the last decade, right? Yeah. That it needs to be addressed. Because they're not playing, the board game has shifted. And it's so slanted in favor. Because CEOs really changed the, board, the game midstream. So at this point, things need to be reevaluated from the top down. Yeah, I'm struck by, and it just goes to show how smart she was, Carrie Fisher made a joke oh. at the AFI tribute to George Lucas many years ago at this point. It may be pushing 20 years. Where when she gave her remarks and said, that she also wanted to thank George for locking up her right likeness so hard that every time she looks in the mirror, she owes him five bucks. <laughs> and it was an offhanded joke, but it, she yep. hit upon. <laughs> Here we are. Yeah. This is... Ever since it was prescient. I believe ever since what was it? Batman. Jack Nicholson said he will take his money on the back end with the toy rights. And he ended up making more than anyone involved with that film. I believe that's now part of the standard contract is like you're signing away your likeness so they can license toys out so they get the money. Not oh, yeah. The big one was Travolta with the soundtrack rights. When his agent told him for Saturday Night Fever, given the level of people that were because the Bee Gees were just making an album. Yep. They didn't know they were making the disco. Anthem. The disco album. Yeah. yeah. So his agent told him, take a little less, take part of the soundtrack, not knowing it's going to be one of the biggest sellers of all time. But Travolta does that for his next three movies, which turn out to be, yeah, Saturday Night Fever, Grease, and Urban Cowboy. And that's why the dude just sat around it, make movies for a couple of years and bought Jets because he didn't have to. (laughs) But just that whole thing of, like they were saying, who owns what and who gets to participate in the percentage. And it made everything shift in such a dramatic way that... I think that some of the studios started to get afraid of what they were giving away. And they don't give anything away. Yeah. Downey took a percentage too, as opposed to a paycheck on Age of Ultron and used it to raise the salaries of the other big six. Yeah. Uh, which I'm pretty sure nobody expected <laughs> either. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And I'll, there's two more things, but I'm just going to do the next one because the last one's a long rant from Kassan about superman and we can we can talk about that later that was our whole show last week yeah he did ask a good question and i'm curious and since troy i'm sure you've seen this movie i hope you might have an opinion so we'd reviewed guardians of the galaxy a couple weeks ago on the show guardians Galaxy volume three and his his question to us was do we still feel the same about the movie a week removed from seeing it i think so I feel I haven't thought about it a lot since, but the conversations I've had 
in reference to it. I still feel pretty pretty good about it. I liked it a lot. I don't have the time to see movies like I used to when I go to see it multiple times in the theater. Yeah. I just don't have that kind of time anymore. But what's stuck with me seems to resonate still. And I, yeah, I still liked it quite a bit. How about you, John? I think it's heart. got yeah. Like, I, it's still got, there are little things that bug me a little bit more now. Like, why didn't he have his auto mask and his jet boots at the end? But again, it just, James Gunn, man. You just can't beat him like that. That ju- it just had it all heart. So I still love it. What did you think, Troy? What did you like the movie? Oh yeah, absolutely. All four of us went. Life boys. Everybody really enjoyed it. I was delighted in first of all that he played against expectations so hard because we. I think everybody went in with their list of these are the people who are going to die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Look at the scenes uh, that they released. <laughs> he made a emotional cathartic movie that didn't rely on killing a single one of the heroes off that's a trick man that's he did a fantastic job of that and with the emotional stuff just really resonated well but also i'm gonna say cathartic again man the whole team beatdown of the high evolutionary has got to be one of the most cathartic action scenes in mcu because First of all, the guy deserved to have 100% of his ass kicked, but it wasn't just Groot showing up for Rocket. It was everybody down the line getting their shot in, like a real superhero final fight against a more powerful adversary. And it was great. It played great. And that scene lasts from the time that he says he's Rocket Raccoon to the end of that scene is about a minute and nine seconds. (laughs) (laughs) But that that it goes by so fast, but it's it's yeah. it's this tentpole in the movie, this high point of emotion. And, and you guys said it like Gunn does that stuff like very few other people. I'm still of all the DC projects, like, I'm still amazed by Peacemaker. I'm still amazed how well Peacemaker worked <laughs> in every aspect. It was funny. It was heartfelt and yeah, and just so weird. And but with the- with Guardians. It, it felt like an ending without the cliches of an ending. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to say that not only did no one die, not the high evolutionary didn't even die. A lot of people assumed he died because the ship blew up at the end, but no, it's been confirmed. That's who Drax is carrying out at the end of the movie. Like when they're all going to nowhere, he's carrying the high evolutionary. So yeah. No, no one died, but they did have rocket almost die for the entire, almost the entire thing. Lots of people died. There's a whole planet that died. Yeah, that too. Yeah. The, wor- the, the worst thing that's... was small furry animals got hurt. Cassandra's asking mm-hmm. about the reveal. That's gun reveal that that is two Drax's carried. Yeah, I know. That was interesting to learn. Yep. All right. That is going to do it for Social Media Madness for this week. So if you watching right now want to know how can you be part of Social Media Madness, here's our good friend Don to tell you more. How's the show going? You join it? Do you want to be part of Social Media Madness? And go ahead and head over to SuperHeroSpeak.com where you can find all the social links, episodes of the show, you can find comic reviews by Chris and other articles. We're posting stuff on there all the time. And while you're there, check out the rest of the Geek World All-Stars Podcast Network. Great shows like the Pop Prison Power Podcast, Colt 45, Fans on Patrol, the Gorilla Brain Podcast, So Wizard, and Hero Speak. Hashtag GW All Stars, and you will not be disappointed. 
So make sure that you are engaging with the Superheroes Peak Twitter post whenever they come up. Give us your best comment, and you may make JD say this. I get so tired of these dumb motherfuckers. All right, it's back to the show. Greatest audio drop ever. (laughs) Hey, I just had an idea while Don was reading that thing that I've heard him read 12 times now. We should actually put the podcast, we should actually put the social media posts on the show. Put it in the stream so people can see them. I'll start that for next week. Now, show notes and, during the show. Don't forget to check out the Omega Level Nerds podcast available on YouTube and wherever podcasts are available. And this is usually when we give our guests the opportunity to tell people where they can find you on social media. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter and other places if you poke around at Troy Brownfield on Twitter and then just Troy Brownfield on Facebook. I'm sure there are others. <laughs> <laughs> but... You know, that, that's where I would be most easily findable, Instagram as well. All right, cool. On that note, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to come back, and it's all going to be about Troy. Yay. Some podcasts are like this. On top, missionary, pull the leg over, so that way it's like they're on their side yep, yep, a bit. Yep. So that way it's like you're hitting it from the back, but, but you're still getting face action. Yeah. Whoa. That way you still reach a hand awesome up twister there. Shirt. Yeah. yeah, but you still get deep and because you get... T- and neck it's a power position what would you call that like a wine opener the bop it you can smack it you can choke it you can pull it you can do everything and some podcasts are like this it's hard it's i'm one day off vaping right now bro and i want to fucking smoke a bowl out of my own nuts bro of pure nicotine but only one podcast is where you can get in-depth analysis like this. Oh, we let that slide. That was woo. He's a Sweet bad guy. and sour it's chicken fine. ass nigga. <laughs> He's a it's bad guy. Oh, let's just walk over this one. Because he was a villain, we let that slide. That was woo. I forgot about that. My bad. Just because you naming food, nigga, don't make it better, dog. Like it's still racist as shit. It's so much racism, bro. Also, I know ain't no black people wrote this, so I know this is just. This is yeah. just that much. Like, we can say what everyone through his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Think of all the racist things you want to say to those Asian people. Get it off the chest. It'll be spoken in jive, so it wouldn't hurt so much. Um, <laughs> his sweet jive mouth. <laughs> you are now listening to Call 45. This is Beat 'em Down. And I'm Random Randy Savage. Find us on all your podcatching apps like Podbean or Spotify. And follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or just go to www.cult45podcast.com. Also, check out our YouTube for that sweet video content. Cult 45, the only podcast that puts hair on your chest. After these messages, we'll be right back. One day we're gonna get Randy back on the show and ask him where the hell he got those clips. Look what Randy just said. Guess who's <laughs> getting a bunch of pictures for the next social media? Man. See, I knew it. I knew that would. I knew Randy would be into that. <clears throat> Seriously, there's a story. I don't want you to t- tweet, to read, write it out. I want to hear it from you, Randy. How you guys found these ridiculous shows that you subjected us to watching? For mere- I'm curious. Oh, if the bottle the in the ad is about like an actual bottle that he put a label on. Or is that like CGI? Because it looks really good. So, some After Effects stuff does look good. And anyway, as always, other podcasts who are watching this, if you'd like us to advertise your podcast, send us your ad over to David Superhero Speak, and I'll make sure it's on next episode. What? I just had an idea. Continue. (laughs) 
All right. So, Troy, how are you, sir? It's been a while. Um, of course, obviously, you're advertising. Yeah. You still are uh, writing for uh, Saturday Evening Post. That's. I think you announced that on this show at one point. Might have been. Yeah. Yeah. I started. That's a good place to start. I joined the Post in June of 2018, and I was a staff writer initially. I became the senior editor and editor of the kids' magazines as well in 21, and then executive editor earlier this year oh, of wow. the list of the kids' max. It did coincide with a noticeable drop in comics. <laughs> yeah. For, for a long period of time. I was still doing Spark Shooter into the pandemic age until I had a pause on that. Well, that'll return. Eventually, Spark Shooter. Okay. I've got two chapters left of the original story, and believe me, that's been discussed. But over time, and Paolo chimed in with a comment a little while ago. That's the great Brazilian artist Paolo Yonami, who Paolo and I first worked together at Dynamite on Blood Queen, oh. and he was one of the cover artists. And we started doing stuff together. I wrote some of his Midnight Witch comics in Brazil. So that relationship has continued on projects over time, which kind of brings us to the new thing, which Paolo and a bunch of other artists in his studios have been doing covers and so forth for Tidal Wave. And I wrote the crossover between his Midnight Witch character and the 10th Muse a while back. And so just over time, I got the chance to... I'll be doing the new Legends of Isis miniseries, which is, I provided some art for you guys. Paolo did the cover, and you can see the interior of the first page with Saiyan's lettering from Igor Sicarini, who is another Brazilian artist. But these guys are tremendous. I love working with Paolo and all the artists in his studio. They, they love comics. They have a great graphic sense all of them paolo's been doing some really terrific tribute covers on the team up books for tidal wave they're all homages to the classic 70s brave and the bold run but featuring the different tidal wave characters as they team up there's a lot of love for that era but isis was originally when tidal wave was at image many years ago 10th muse and legend of isis and some of these characters were originally out as image books and then there were a couple of transformative things that the studio went through. And then Darren Davis relaunched all of the characters, you know, under the Tidal Wave banner. And so they've been putting out a lot of stuff over a period of time. A lot of the books, a series of minis and so forth, Omnibus collecting original material. And I just had the opportunity to do this new Isis mini, and it's a lot of fun. It's going to be called The New Kingdom is the title, which is a reference to Egyptian history. If you're not familiar with the character, this is a spin on ancient Isis, the Egyptian deity being moved to modern time and dealing with the machinations of set as well as supervillains and whatnot. And I'm doing a little bit more of a science fiction spin on that. And uh, the art so far is really incredible. Yes. And I was going to say that the thumbnail, the art is in the thumbnail Artist for the episode. responds with. And oh. sometimes I've been known to say, here's an idea, go nuts, and Sorry. see what they come back with. You you froze up for a second there. Satellite delay. Yeah. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> I was, was going to say, 
you just said that the art was really good. And I was going to say it is in the thumbnail for the episode, and I'll actually probably put the art down in the description of the episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was just saying that so one of the best things about comics as a writer is just seeing what people come back with. Yes. And occasionally there are times in a script when I'll say, maybe it's a fight scene or something, and I'll say, yeah, go nuts. And I'll see what they, or I'll give a very small description of something. And Igor has come back with some amazingly detailed stuff which is bad for me because it only makes me go okay he does that on two lines what will he do with 14 <laughs> i don't want to drive the poor guy crazy but it, i'm also i try to be considerate of the artists as well because when i did the blood queen versus dracula mini dynamite i know a lot of artists are not wild about drawing horses but so when cuber ball got a side to the book i said okay man first thing i gotta tell you i got horses <laughs> Are you okay? He's like, yeah, he's like, okay. It's like, so, so the horse is the first issue, so the second issue, the rest of it, no more horses. He's like, okay, great. But it was, but yeah, I love seeing the pages come back and what Igor does is pretty amazing. And the color work is fantastic on this too. Now, also with the current Tidal Wave stuff, everything they're doing is offered on Amazon. They're doing digital and then print later. And then also Comic Flea Market, which is comic book printing, the company Comic Book Printing, which has, handles printing for lots of indies. They have a storefront and you get it there. They've issued previews over a long period of time because without getting into it, and I'm not speaking for Darren or anything, but there's a lot of indies that have felt punished by a lot of the previews policies, particularly the sales thresholds and whatnot. And some companies are allowed to exist below a certain sales threshold in shops and others aren't. <laughs> and it's one of those things that this, the alternative ways of distribution are something that allows some of these indies to thrive yeah sure you'd love to have everything in the shops and comic flea market makes it so that stores can order to have the books in stores if they're interested just like ingram uh, ingram distribution as an alternative to previews so if you're in a comic shop and you want to have some of these books by all means check out that comic book printing comic book flea market and see what the legs man they hate horses because of the leg the legs <laughs> Yeah, horses anatomically are just a tough thing to draw. A lot of artists hate cars too. Uh, yeah, that's what I've found over time. I haven't experienced too much. I've said this before, but I've been insanely lucky with the vast majority of the artists that I've worked with. There's only really a couple where I would shy away <laughs> from maybe doing other stuff, but most of the artists are just really fantastic to to work with and i think a lot of them given the chance to show that they can do a thing will do a thing because they know that it benefits them it benefits them to be versatile and to take chances and show out a little bit so you had said that you you weren't doing spark shooter you've gotten away from comics for a little while so how did this project come up did they just reach out and say hey we want you to write this or oh it was it was paolo and when they when Paolo had been doing covers and whatnot for Tidal Wave. And then the conversation between he and Darren became, did Paolo want to reprint some of the Brazilian Midnight Witch stuff in English for through Tidal Wave? And one of the things that they wanted to do ahead of that was introduce the Midnight Witch to Tidal Wave's audience by having a crossover with the Tenth Muse, who was their big character. And Paolo said, why don't we have Troy write the book? Okay. And I was down. <laughs> And yep. I had some familiarity with the Muse from when she came out. Like I said, that was an image book at the time. It did very well. 
And yeah, so I went back and read up and I wrote the story, the, the story for that crossover. It was, it's a standalone book that's available on Amazon as well. Yeah. Tidal Wave presents 10th of Views and Midnight Witch. I wanted to do something that Paul and I talked about a couple of different ways they could team up. And so basically we merged that Greek mythology aspect of the 10th Muse and it has the witch and the muse meeting up at Hades because they're both trying to retrieve the soul of a wrongfully dead person. They don't realize they're there for the same person. And so it works its way through Hades kind of sets them some tasks to see if they can. So it was playing with different ideas. I was a little inspired this is a deep cut <laughs> the anime film, the winds of change from late seventies, early eighties was the thing that made me think of the trip through the underworld. And so everybody liked what came together in the story and the art there. And it was after that, that Darren and I talked about some other stuff and asked if I had any thoughts on, on ISIS. And my first thought was this, like I said, science fiction heavy story that leans on some of that Egyptian iconography and gives ISIS some extraterrestrial enemies. Because there have been a lot of mythological (laughs) enemies, as you would expect. That's something that happens like you have a Hercules or a Thor or whatnot, where you run through a lot of the touchstones of it. And uh, I'm not going to lie, I went Stargate. I thought, (laughs) (laughs) you, you think about you have some of those things. And so I wanted to kind of homage it without directly ripping it off. So I had to make it also personal to ISIS. And this first issue establishes a new threat and leaves you with a lot of questions as to how this comes together. So you're not pulling inspiration from the old ISIS Shazam power hour. Oh my. <laughs> I think there's stuff that's baked in the character already, right? There's a little bit of anytime you have the mythological inspired character like in, even in comics there's a lot of thors i felt yeah. that his own Thor and everything there's always a, a lot of versions there's a few hercules you have dc and marvel have had their hercules I, so i think there's basics that are similar among that but i i like the idea of playing with isis as someone who's been in the 21st century for a little bit so she's not totally naive she's got a job she <laughs> but so it's a little more super heroics than just straight god goddess stuff and i thought that was just one of the things that would be appealing to me so yeah and like i said with, with just to go back on a little bit of a detour or something you ask about with the with spark shooter was we that period of time was so weird for everybody mm-hmm. just the pandemic period of time yeah <laughs> was, oh yeah and i was switching artists that i knew that i had an artist that was only going to be able to do one chapter and then after that it was just not able to put together the continuity of going right to another person. And so I said, I'm just going to pause this until we come back and finish it. Cause there's only two chapters left of the original story. Oh. And uh, over time, Paolo was going to come on and draw it, but he got so busy with the demands of doing things from stuff in Brazil, commercial work, tidal wave as well, that it was fine to put on the back burner until I could come back and finish it, which that'll, I fully believe we'll get those last two chapters out. But it, the person that hurts more than anybody that it's not finished is me. That <laughs> is yeah, true. That's not the pity that maybe Justin Pittiston loves it. Maybe it hurts him that he hasn't read the last two chapters. But uh, it, it's funny because I'm 
that you're bringing it up because I'm at that time actually more like when cons were starting to come back. I was asking like everyone, how did the pandemic affect you? Did it affect your work? Was it hard to find and whatnot? And obviously, it affected the Spark Shooter fairly significantly. Yeah, I don't want to lay it all on that, but it was it, yeah. Obviously, it was the time. Yeah. And uh, Inkaru, who drew wonderfully chapters three through to thirteen. We talk and everything, but she got so much work in Spain related to animation and children's Mm -hmm. programming and so forth that it was just, she didn't have the time for it. And I think that if she had the time where she could do one day a week and draw, because that's how we used to release it was one page a week on the website. And I think she would do it, but she doesn't (laughs) have the time with animation of the online work and her own work and everything is there was a period of time when she had the time to do it obviously for that run of three through 13 but then it was just a thing that she wouldn't be able to come back and you know because i had two artists in the interim there so yeah so it'll be like i said i'll be delighted when it eventually wraps up and i the thing will eventually see print but it is just i hate to say not a priority but not the number one priority at the moment i feel like you're pawing a kevin smith and spider man black cat if you remember i think it was a four-part miniseries and it took years before he finished it yeah the thing is it's done it writing wise oh. <laughs> was it the rumor that smith wrote the first issue of daredevil the target and then he hadn't even written the other issues i think so Captain yeah now, I, the last two parts have been done forever, and they're not getting changed. I'm not sitting there tinkering with them or whatever. I know what the I know what the last two chapters are. They're written. They're done. Okay. They're just, they're, yeah, hundred percent in the can. I know the ending. I knew what the ending was of the original volume, the original one through eighteen volume. I knew what the ending was for a long time. For okay. so that was not something that I was nervous about. Not ever writing it I, i've joked about getting it back on track and then dropping dead before the last page comes out <laughs> oh, page no. next week. Oh, <laughs> don't make jokes like that but it, it is one of those things where it's you you work on something for a really long time you just at the end of the day you just want people to see it but you also want it well, done but that's I'm, that that is my question too right once you once they're out and they're done it's like it's done do you feel like are you afraid to finish it off in that way oh no no, okay. I'm not. They're, speaking of long-term stuff, I've got a I've got a novel I've been working on for freaking ever, but it's one of those things that nobody's expecting it, so it just ebbs and flows. But it's you have, and this is JD can chime in too. If, if, but I, I think that there's a certain period that with writers, and I think with most of the time you might say it's your 20s or whatever, where it's you have maybe almost like this boundless energy and if you're single and what you do is you work and you come home and you write and everything, then that's the thing. But then you have different jobs you have. And I've got on one level, it's great. I have a job where I write. Yeah. On another level, I've got a job where I write. Yeah. (laughs) The last thing you want to do with your free time is to write. Yeah. It's a little bit of a harder push of that. It's a little bit harder sometimes to get into the pocket and I'm not, Outside of the comic stuff, I'm not really, I'm chipping away at it. That's another thing that I've planned out without over planning. So I know the end is in sight for it. But at that point, I'll just be glad when it's done. And that's a negative feeling. It's not like you're excited it'll be done. It'll just be like, oh my God, that's done. 
it's cleaning out a garage. <laughs> yep. But I can totally relate to, I'm sure John can back me up on this. As software developers, if you come home, the last thing you want to do is work on your computer or fix a software problem. It's, yeah. You don't have a life. But uh, I mean, when I find something interesting, but yeah, like you, you tie literally, if you're coding all day, you tire your brain out on it. And when you get home, most days I just want to veg. I, I yeah. like most people come home and they've got all this energy because they've been sitting all day and they want to do something physical. I've, I come home and I just want to relax and look at some anime because yeah, it's just, it's, it's been the same for everybody. Right. Yeah. And the old joke is mechanics always drive like the most beat up cars. Yeah. But yeah, but that's to show off their skills. I can make this yeah. work and keep it running. You no, know, my brother-in-law is a mechanic and yeah, like the last thing he wants to do is work on his own car at the end of the day. Yeah. I, I think it's too, that it's just, it, you also, <clears throat> the age thing, <laughs> you tire more quickly. You're yeah. Uh, there was a period when I started the original shotgun review site, and uh, I was just out of grad school. I was working for a, a technical catalog company where we had a third shift. So we worked three, I was working 3 p.m. to 11.30 p.m. And so 23, I'm in Indianapolis. Had a bunch of friends on the job, and it was one of those things that's okay, it's 11.30. We just got off. What do we do? Oh, yeah, there's bars. <laughs> and then you, you could stay like the bars close at three and you get up yep. and then like even if you got to bed at 3 30 even if you slept till noon you're still up three and a half hours where you have to go to work my apartment building was next door to the art uh, the complex where i worked i didn't even have a commute i drove from one parking lot to the next parking lot and you could get up and be like oh hell man i got two hours i can right stay and so like the whole the ball of that was a very different kind of thing versus when you're teaching, when you're working in a magazine, it's like that all the subtle shifts that go through impact what your writing routine is. So as, whereas in one phase, you might have these hours a day that you're able to do that kind of stuff in another phase with the nights that I didn't do anything social when I would come home at 1130 at night, if I was by myself or if it wasn't my girlfriend, now my wife, like, I'll just write for three hours and then I'll go. And I'm still getting eight hours of sleep. That yeah. that kind of thing doesn't happen as you get older and you have other demands, responsibilities, or hell, even more freelance work. You can't focus on the stuff that's entirely your own, out of responsibility. Yeah, I hear you. Ru women ruin everything. I did not say that. No, you didn't. It's kids. <laughs> it's kids that ruin everything. Oh, that is true, too. Oh. The cat. I see Dave's cat walking through the shop. Mine's just been going around the chair like a shark. Yes. For some reason, she wants a lot of attention. So I'm surprised we haven't seen John's cat yet. She was here a little bit. I think she's over there now. So Usually she's causing trouble. No dog yep. for me tonight. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. I think he's hanging out with the kid at bedtime. So, <laughs> I got, you were going to say something, J.D.? No, I just said he's hanging out with the kid. Oh, oh okay. All right. So you said they're working. I don't. I don't know if we said this on sh on air or if we said this before. <laughs> they're working on the art now, right? So the script is done for the book. Oh yeah, for Legend of Isis number one, the art's in progress. There's an expectation it'll be done by the end of the month for the first issue. So I'm certain, like the solicitation will be happening soon, or at least the announcement as to when you'd be able to order that. <clears throat> it's going to be a four issue mini, so it's all plotted. I'm working on the scripts right now one is almost done with the art so do you do full script or you just do an outline and let them fill it in with the art 
I've always been a full script person and it's less about mania and more about I, I mm. focus uh, I focus on dialogue a lot. Yeah. Re- reviewers at some sites may disagree with that. But I really do. <laughs> yeah, I really put a lot of thought into that. For me like the whole rhythm of it has to come with conversation. I think uh, most writers are full script these days, wouldn't you say? I would agree with that. I think and for all the Marvel method that we've always heard about, like most of the Marvel writers I know are full script writers. The people I know, David Puppos, you guys know, is a good friend mm-hmm. of mine. And David's a full script writer. All of his stuff, there's various, the things that he's kickstarted even and, and his Savage Avengers and all that was all full script. So yep. I don't think I'm revealing anything. Look behind the curtain and behold the full script. I think that there's just, with the facility for, like I said, not control in the devious sense, but you're, you're trying to control the idea of what you're trying to present. And sometimes there's happy accidents, but how many a- happy accidents are the Silver Surfer? Most of the stuff is just, and a lot of times you're not even sure who, when you're writing it, who you're necessarily going to have on art. True. <clears throat> you know, unless a 100% collaborative thing, hey, like Paolo and I have done some stuff together and I might be looser in it with that i would probably still do the full dialogue but i would necessarily depending on who i'm working with i might not fully dictate like an action sequence or whatnot i might say have a sword fight for two pages and here's what they're saying and then paulo might do some really cool shit (laughs) (laughs) and i would trust him yeah it's it is that kind of trust factor when i was working with uh, different people like on blood queen and whatnot I had a really good feeling that when I put something down, that's what I was going to see, or I was going to see a, an even better version of what was in my head with Fritz Cassis doing Blood Queen. There were some things that I wrote and I thought, is that clear? Is he, does he get that, what I'm going for? And I would see right. the pits come back. Oh God, yes, he did. He really understood. And he made everything look better than what was in my head. And I, it's you can develop that level of trust where you write a little bit less, but you just don't know necessarily who you're going to end up with a lot of the right. time. Now, what I have to say about Spark Shooter with Inkaru, her understanding of how to deliver humor that I wrote was uncanny. And there were times when I would write dialogue that I didn't even get too detailed into what the characters would be reacting with because I knew she'd just draw it the way that the intent, what she would draw the intent. Yeah, I, it's harder, I think, when you're in a larger structure and your artist may change from issue to issue that I, I think a lot of the guys and ladies have relied more on. We need to have this planned out as, as far as possible just to make sure that the story gets told the right way because we're not sure who we're going to be working with from time to time. Yeah, I know. And we've talked about this on the show multiple times about there has to be a trust between the writer and artist and JD doesn't trust anyone. That's why he doesn't do comics anymore. So <laughs> I don't trust my pocketbook more than anything. That's what oh. I <laughs> Yeah, it's, and honestly, not to steer into depressing territory, but JD makes me think comics is really hard. And it <laughs> it's a really hard, I think that we're in a period now where a lot of people just don't know where stuff's going. Yeah. Uh, and just, there are a lot of indies that we're seeing as pretty solid who are suddenly in very big trouble. Like IDW has had major 
shocks lately. All this yeah. stuff with Lionforge Oni over the past couple of years. There have been Action Labs creator lawsuits and all that. There's a lot of upheaval in the firmament of especially the big indies. It's kind of a dynamite's pretty steady state. I think Xenoscope's doing okay, but there are a lot of things going on on the fringes and yep I, it comes back to a lot of the old concerns where do the new readers come from are they finding the shops do they are the younger kids interested mainly in manga and if they are do they go to the comic shops or they just go to barnes and noble or do they just order it from amazon like where do they you know that all has an impact and i think it makes it very hard for the stores to figure out what to do i think it makes it hard for the companies to figure out what kind of books to put out <laughs> Right. Because, and I think that relying on people who were once stars don't necessarily help you either because you never know what's going to click. And quite frankly, it's also very hard when the big two, most of the time, will switch a creative team and launch it with a new number one within a year or two. And that's maybe the creative team has only decided that they want to do a year, 18 months. You don't have a handoff or changing the guard, it's just like, oh, we got to do a new number one again. And I think that makes it difficult too, even if you're going to follow in trade, which is valid, it makes it hard for you to decide where to pick it up. Hmm. <laughs> you know, what my first issue of X-Men as a kid was 125. I got it because I liked the cover. I became an X-Men fan in very short order over the mm-hmm. What a great time to start because you get the Mirror Island saga, the Dark Phoenix saga, and holy shit, what a run. To, to join with, but I that was 125. I didn't read the first 124. I jumped on. And, you know, how many people were at the beginning? So it's weird. You gotta, there, there's gotta be a way that people can get in and there's gotta be a way to perpetuate or I, else. Yeah. Yeah. I also feel like Marvel especially has been doing things that alienating longtime fans. And I'm not even talking like, us old people, I'm talking about even people that have been fans in the last 15 years or so, or 20 years or so. Um, obviously, Spider-Man's a mess right now with the whole Mary Jane's a, a sister <laughs> stuff. They killed <laughs> Miss Marvel this week in the Spider-Man yeah. book. I, I right. posted that nerve. Which, yeah, they, they killed Miss Marvel, but hold now on. that she... Th- hold on. The theory behind that is, if anyone's reading X-Men right now... Yeah, Krakoa should be uh, resurrected. Krakoa is a mutant. Yep. They're going to resurrect her as a mutant, so she's more aligned with the MCU version. And then Avengers number one just came out, and Kristen put a nice review on the website, and he tore it apart. It's terrible. And that's a death for nothing though for miss marvel literally nothing I mean, it's a shock it's a thing if you can get people talking and try to get people in the shops because i saying it's so hard to market to the people and you wind yeah. up marketing to the same people and unfortunately we talked about with the guardians movie right it's so hard to make a meaningful story that doesn't involve death and everybody was came in somebody was going to die and nobody yeah. died because that's what we that's what that's what ends are too when they want when something has to resonate we have to kill somebody i don't blame the writers it's a marketing thing we let marketing people dictate that's why i get frustrated with corporate comics and i want nothing to do with it because like you say like we get new creative teams and then they lease the characters a little bit and they get to do something and they come on and then someone else does something. it's just like a cycle that gets 
boring after a while, quite frankly. Yeah. And they're far more interested in people telling their own stories and creators with their own voices and comics coming out through Kickstarter. I don't know, man. Like I go to the shop every few months and I try to get myself excited about reading monthly comics again. And I come home and I'm like, eh, every time it never ceases to it never ceases to not frustrate me. And I don't blame the creative teams. I just we're corporate now. Like everything has to, it's everything serves the bottom line. It, it just doesn't work for me. Which goes back to, which goes back to the eighties of all the cartoons that they put on were all for marketing. And so some of the storylines yeah. made no sense whatsoever. It was just introduced character after character after new design. And but, James but, Gunn just showed us how to make a great story without killing somebody. But the difference with that is when you're talking about our 80s marketing of children's stuff is you're marketing to a group of kids that is only going to be this age for a little while. And then they're going to move on right. to something else. Comics is a marketing the same group of people for 30 years, essentially. And that, yeah, and that's the extra big, the bigger hurdle. To address Kassan's comment. That and we've talked should, about this before. Too. We talked about this oh, before yeah, on yeah. the show, that following manga model giving us longer stories but that's the whole like long story arc and doing uh, collected ish graphic novels like marvel started dc started doing that okay we're going to run a story for six issues now we're going to collect it and sell you the graphic novel now for 20 bucks as opposed to well i don't what is it well, six also, bucks in also, a book now yeah but also manga man, manga isn't always colored it's all but I get what he's saying, but that's the whole thing is if, if they give us long, they're doing that in a way. And I also feel mm -hmm. like they're not doing it right. But are people, and we've talked about this too, the prestige format might be a, the better way to go. Just give us a nice long story and then right. totally reboot. Don't worry about continuity, like totally reboot the character a few months right. later. Because to JD's point, like the way the storylines go these days, written by the corporate people, it wouldn't work even if they switched to manga formats. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's something to what he's suggesting because clearly the manga format works and it's a cultural thing. It's just different. Like reading serialized art is more socially acceptable there. Like people will go see a Marvel movie, but getting them to read a comic is difficult. And it's not, I don't, it's not like manga isn't hard to read as far as like accessibility. Right. Like yeah. you try to like pick up a random manga and it's like there's stuff steeped in continuity. So it's like yep. there's just as much of a barrier of entry. It seems that people are more willing. Younger people, I should say, are more willing on a manga front. And I don't have any answers. I just I don't know. I think that if you went the manga route, you'd piss off a lot of people that work in comics. Yeah. You're talking about yeah, taking jobs away from colorists. And maybe it's a good idea financially, but I don't know if it's a good way to keep your pe the people in the business happy. Also, there's a difference. A manga is written by an author who has rights to his stuff and controls the whole story. This stuff coming out of Marvel DC, there's but no way you'd get a cohesive. But that's the whole thing. Know. We're way past that model in the big two. Like their yeah. corporate, what's the word you're always using, JD? IP farms. Yeah, their IP farm. That's it. It's not, and there's no room for someone to come up with a new character for the big two and just. Oh. There is. No, own it. No, own it will never happen yeah. because the, look what happened with McFarland thirty years ago. With Spawn, it just wound up with nothing but litigation. Yeah, I don't know, man. I have no answers. I just this cool stuff on Kickstarter. Yeah. I, for myself, I've in the past year or so gotten a lot of of Marvel's Epic collections. They partially I, like some of these are things that I have in the single issue format. You know, they're old enough that I'm afraid <laughs> to revisit them too much. Yeah, but also wanted to have some of the stuff available in case the boys wanted to read it and whatnot. But I'm struck by 
and we know this intrinsically as longtime fans, but the length of the runs that some of the writers had and some of the writing and art teams had. Obviously, Claremont had a 15-year run yeah. on Uncanny, which is insane. That, that'll never happen again for somebody that doesn't own the characters. Miller, on his stints on Daredevil, were lengthy mm-hmm. but incredible. Electra Saga, Born Again, Burn on Fantastic Four. That's the Visionaries collection of trades that marvel did is constituted nine total trades the zero issue which is issues that bird did before he became the writer artist and the eight volumes of all of his stuff across secret wars and was she hulk being a member and all that there was a point when someone was the writer and they got to ride with it as long as the book was doing well if they're the writer or the writer and artist team you simonson on thor all these things were happening at the same time so for whatever the knocks that people might have had on Jim Shooter as editor-in-chief or whatever, mm-hmm. you sure as hell let the talent run wild for many yeah. years. <laughs> and I think that one of the reasons that those books were so esteemed is that the shakeups happened when the writer-artists got bored. If you look at all the iterations of the team that Claremont took X-Men through, nobody was telling him to do that. They went through the Siege Perilous and had the Outback team and everything. Nobody was telling him to do that stuff. He was just doing it. And it's the only thing that really got forced on them was making the fifth member of X Factor Gene instead of Dazzler. And that yeah. was. Yeah. You know, call. <laughs> yeah, that was something they had to contend with. But And when Miller was done telling certain Daredevil stories, he'd dip. And then later he'd I've got another Daredevil story there. By all means, <laughs> he would do a story that he'd be out again it's it was a really different it's the sensibility of it is so completely different and i think the the image time broke it when the image thing happened you never saw that again the runs became much shorter and yeah. the people that like and that was even wolfman even stopped doing titans by the mid 90s after the titans hunt and all well, that. And you I, never saw and i think you're also making an excellent point in the fact i got i grew up in the Ron Front, Ron, yeah, Ron Friends, Tom DeFalco era Spider Man. So yeah, yeah. To, to me, that's my Spider Man, right? That will always be how I view the character. And then, and that's part of the problem with these characters that have been around for so long. Then you pick up a book today and it's just, you go, this is garbage because this isn't my Spider Man. Um, who's the audience, right? I think yeah. that's the problem, I think, too, is we have a hard time defining because we have these definitive runs, like you say, like a Simonson on a Thor days, nothing like Walt Simonson. What he did. Not me, nothing like, but I mean, it's different than what Walt Simonson was doing 35, 40 years ago. Should it be the same? Should Walt Simonson be the end all be all on Thor? Should Jason Aaron's Thor not have the same weight? And these are like legit questions. Like you have to let your creators create, but at the same time, you have old fans like this isn't what I want, which is again, that's a problem. So who is the audience? Who are these books being written for? And that number gets smaller and smaller every year. Yeah, and I got to say, I like Jason Aaron's Thor. There's a we lot do. of, we do. That's a lot of stuff that's been done in recent years that I've yeah. really enjoyed. The the Hickman's House of X, Powers of Ten slash X minis, thought those were great. I thought that was the kind of hard reset that the X-Men needed at the time. There's just a lot of material, but there's other things I haven't liked as much. And, right. and like Katie says, maybe some of that's me. Maybe I would have a different lens on it were I younger, older, or whatever, <laughs> you know, but I know the stuff that not to throw stones or whatever, but the stuff at DC, I haven't liked my kids haven't liked either. So I feel like 
maybe that's not age. <laughs> maybe I'm not saying that makes it objectively bad, but it's okay. if they don't like it either. Then it's not just me. It's not I, just I spent a weekend reading. That's the last thing I grabbed was Dark Crisis. I'm, like, I'm gonna read this whole series one night. I grabbed every issue. Did not was not cheap. Grabbed all seven issues, sat down, read it, came out, and what did I just read? <laughs> like nothing. Yeah. And again, Josh Williams is a good writer, but nothing. It feels like you paint by numbers. It feels like they're being told this and this and this. it just doesn't yeah. feel like a cohesive story in any way. And it just it's fine, but I didn't. I can't say I like it. I can't not. I read it like a month and a half ago, and I cannot go two months ago. I cannot go beat for beat and tell you what happened in the story, like I could do with Craven's Last Hunt. Is that my yeah. age, or is that just? have i grown out of the hobby i don't know i don't know what to think about any of this stuff yeah it didn't engage you in the way for no. whatever reason and it's like it, he's a good dc I, I really enjoyed the first metal mini when they did the <laughs> when snyder did the first metal and there's a lot of hilarious and or creative stuff going on in that the egg that was plastic man the use of baby Darkseid as a weapon. All the Bat family all be dressed as Batman in the Justice League, not knowing who they were chasing because all the Robins were in the field. And there, there's a lot of fun stuff in that. And it was there were things that was like, oh, why did nobody ever do that before? Because some of the stuff was simple ideas that they were just like small twists on the things. I enjoyed a lot of that. But it gets to a point where they go to the well too many times. Like Batman who laughs was a great oh this is a cool idea for that mini but to then play it out and over and over again becomes it's it's not because there used to be i don't remember what it was but i remember reading in the 70s and 80s there was a rule on how few times they allowed joker to appear in a calendar year because they didn't want to overdo it and that is not now (laughs) it's like venom in the 90s remember when venom came out the first time it was cool this new dark evil spider-man how cool and then you keep putting them in, and then we got to keep putting them in, and then oh, we got to have Carnage. Now we have ninety Carnages, and now Venom's got his own series, and nobody. Knows. It just every time there's a good idea, they just they can't not bleed every last drop out of it because they um, think that's what the market wants. It really isn't. I, I think another a good example of that is with the Batman who laughs. Right, a friend of mine I've talked about many times, Greg Horn, did a an alternate cover where he did a Harley Quinn in the same style as the Batman who laughs, and it like did really well. Like the cover sold really well and a lot of people liked it. So, but the character does not exist in the book anywhere. He just came up with this because he knew people like Harley Quinn and he just wanted a piece of art to sell. So they came to him and they made it a statue that just, so they knew they were going to make money off of it, but it's like, it's oversaturation and it's got, it gets silly. He just drew this and now all of a sudden it becomes like this big thing. I don't think that's a problem though, especially if they're not shoehorning it and making it become a thing. Like, cause it gives Greg a chance to make a couple extra bucks. And if people want a statue, who cares about a statue? It's like when you see something like this and you go, no, this has to be the thing of the comic. And then it derails the comic. Cause that happens yeah. a lot when you let, when you let the corporation, again, let the corporations, they're going to drive these things. They're trying to make money. But oftentimes what's making money doesn't often make the best arts. Kassan says corporations are too afraid to have a complete story arc. They want to milk the cow even after they've roasted the cow. This is true. Yeah, Nothing like milking yeah. a hamburger. It's weird at that point. And as, as we said many times that like comic books are the middle act and they don't mm-hmm. end. That's so. act two. You're constantly in a state of act two. Yeah. This is, I was talking to David about this the other day when, yeah, name drop. My friend David Pepos, writer of upcoming Moon Knight mini. 
Now, it, this idea that there, there's some things that are steady state after their fallow period in the early 70s before Giant Size X-Men 1, X-Men have been consistently popular in the comic shops since the mid-70s. But there's some things that were really big that they've never properly relaunched again. And one of the things that was really interesting is like when I was a kid, one of the biggest characters at Marvel is The Thing. And The Thing has yeah. receded in consciousness for whatever reason. He was the top character in Marvel 2 and 1 for a book that ran a hundred issues. He had a solo book coming out of Secret Wars, the original one, and so forth. Like, The Thing was huge. The Thing was in all their advertising. Hell, they mm -hmm. made a great cartoon where The Thing was a kid that hit two rings together to become The Thing. It's, do your thing. That's right. Yeah. And then, similarly, The Defenders, that lineup of Hulk, Dr. Strange, yes. really appealed to people for a long time. And then the characters that orbited the group, Hellcat, Nighthawk, etc., there's a very popular book that ran 152 issues you cannot launch the defenders anymore nope. and it's changed okay. so many times and the thing hasn't had the things had a couple of like minis and they even did a, a soft marvel two-in-one like year-long run a few years ago but it's i it makes me wonder i don't have the answer to that but what makes something run alongside avengers x-men whatnot and be popular for 10 years <laughs> and then you can't launch it again <laughs> The Defenders is one of my favorite books, yeah, and it's no one wants to read it anymore. Even the Fantastic Four in the 60s, that, that was the Stan and Jack book. That was the heartbeat of the Marvel Universe. And then it lost its prestige, and it's never underburned. It still was good, but it, never, it wasn't that driver that X-Men was, right? And it's never quite hit that level again. You could, And again, you guys know my love of Superman, but you could, at one point, Superman was like the most important character in popular fiction. Yeah. And now it's... Mm -hmm there he's superman he's important but he's not what he was in the 1940s true yeah i i know that there's rumors that the justice league is coming back but i find it interesting that dc allowed there to not be a justice league for a while i was i think that's interesting that that and I don't know if that's a reaction to the film or anything like that. <laughs> hey, let's let this cool <laughs> off for a couple of minutes. I, I think you might be right. But All right. The, the movie didn't damage anything that was fundamental about the comics. You had no. years of Super Friends, Justice League, and people still love Justice League Unlimited. And Great show. Justice oh, Animated. Yeah. People still love it. It didn't damage any of that. One person uh, in charge with an overarching, a couple of overarching storylines. Yeah. But that's the thing, too. And I'll argue this with kind of like, as fans, we love continuity. But I think that it becomes limiting at some point. Again, Justice League Unlimited got to be its own thing. It didn't have yeah. to serve a thousand masters who wants it. It was over. And it, and, then, and it had to end. And Bruce Tim could always use it, lay back in it when he wanted it. But it was really just this pocket of the DC universe. This is why I think some of the best DC stuff tends to be their out of continuity books. Right, because then you just then you just have to worry about the archetypes, and the archetypes are awesome. Right, Kingdom Come, my favorite, probably my favorite comic book of all time. Love that story. Out of continuity, All Star Superman. All Star Superman, another great example. I, that's, out of my continuity. that's one of my favorite. Yeah, yeah well, because you can read it, because you can read it, and it's done, and you get a complete story, and that's it. And that's something you don't get in periodical reading. Right, periodical comics don't do that. It's always got to get you buying the next issue. I think one of the interesting things about the MCU as a spinoff of that is that it proves that there's nothing wrong with the characters themselves. Right. <laughs> they are eminently adaptable, flexible. You can make them into a lot of different things and they will, they will work for a lot of people. But going back to JD's point, the they've made it so that the next movie is the next issue that you're yeah. waiting for. 
it mirror it mirrors the reader experience in that way. And it's funny because a lot of people have never realized that they got the monthly comic shop experience just refracted through a prism of twenty three movies going up to Endgame. And I think that less less of not that some of the subsequent films haven't had their problems, but I think that a little bit of what fell off for people was the connective tissue was not immediate. That you had the connective tissue driving one movie to the next movie, going to Infinity War and Endgame, and it wasn't immediately established what the next thing was, and I think it made it drift for a lot of viewers. I think I also feel like one of the things with Endgame was it feels like a finale. It feels like this is the big end of the story for 23 movies, and it's over now. So people are like, okay, that story's over. I'm not really interested in these minor characters. That's not true because the box offices are still really good. People are still interested. But there is some, I've been saying it for a couple years on the show, there's something missing. And I think it's you lose those, you lose the characters. Like the big characters that drove us, we're trying to place Iron Man Captain America. It has not happened yet. You know, they had their eyes on having that with a lot of different characters, and it just hasn't happened. Even like the stuff of Gun, and we should have had another Guardians movie way earlier than what we got it, but we didn't. So you lose that whole and you lose that whole connection to the Marvel, the MCU too. And it just isn't quite for me specifically. I've said this many times, but I'm saying it. It just isn't there for me right now. I'm hoping that the next one's really good. But since like Spider Man, and again, that's that was a nostalgia trip. Yeah, I, it just hasn't been there for me. I also feel like when you do the transforming Sam into Captain America in a TV show that not everyone's going to watch, I feel like that hurts it a little bit as well. You lose some of the prestige. I know, but I wanted to like you do I, though. Like, I, I, yeah, I, I feel I'm agreeing like, with you. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm agreeing with um, you. <laughs> yeah. I thought you said you'd do it for the prestige. But no, you lose the prestige because again, like the, I know Marvel and Disney want these series to work. I find most of them to be a chore, quite honestly, to get through. And it's just Captain America and the Winter Soldier was all right, but it wasn't as good as Civil War or Winter Soldier. Yeah. The story was there. It just the I don't think it I just don't think it worked the way they wanted it to. And, and I that, think yeah. it didn't end well. It Yeah, like, and the last episode where Sam is like preaching to everyone just felt weird. I don't even remember it, that it, at this point. Yeah. It kind of felt that felt like interference from the ceos or something like yeah. that didn't seem to fit the rest of the story but you want that reveal of him in that costume to be on the big screen and, right. and we didn't get it yeah they could have pulled a smallville ending and then had him come out <laughs> the next uh, and they come out yeah but then had him come out in the next movie and next movie hasn't happened yet yeah that's so and think, there's the problem i think the problem here is we're not going to solve the comic book industry's issues nope. <laughs> yeah. So what we're going to do is, but we're going to talk about more comics in a minute. We're going to take a quick break on, and we'll be back because I, I found this video and I want to play it. I, it reminds me, I used to watch these all the time. Hi, I'm a Marvel. And I'm a DC. Hey, by the way, welcome back to the movies, man. Yeah, it's good to be back. It's been a while, but we've got plenty of projects lined up. Oh, really? Wonder Woman? You may see that one eventually. Oh, Flash? Hey, you never know. Sometime, possibly soon in the next few years, keep your ears open. Huh. And we just asked a few writers to think about the possibility of maybe what it might take to theoretically make a Justice League movie in the next ten years or possibly more, perhaps. Huh, yeah. 
What are you guys thinking of doing? Actually, we are working on new Iron Man and Hulk and Ant-Man movies. <laughs> Ant-Man. Yeah, and then once we finish the Captain America and Thor movies, we'll follow up with an Avengers movie. Oh. Not to mention negotiating for three more of my movies and Wolverine and Magneto spin-offs from X-Men. I might actually fight a supervillain in my next movie. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. It's gonna be awesome. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure, yeah. Oh, hey, I heard they just cast Two-Face in the next Batman movie. Oh, that is sweet, man. Oh, I'm sorry, did I say something wrong? Or... After these messages, we'll be right back. Lots changed. <laughs> A lot has changed. Oh, wow. Troy just emerged know. from the Saturday yeah. Evening Post. That was pretty cool. That was very Superman-esque, actually. Yeah, nobody wants um, to see a sneezing fit on camera, guys. <laughs> no, a lot has changed since, because DC did all those movies, right? Yes, yeah. And the Magneto spinoff never happened. That wound up becoming Days of Future Past, which was a good movie. I liked that movie, actually, quite a bit. Yeah, a lot changed since then. Yeah. And then Superman but, did nothing but fight a supervillain in his last movie, in the movie that followed that up, and it was terrible. Be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. Because then, oh, Superman didn't fight a supervillain. Your movie was boring. Fine. He, a million people died. Are we? Are you happy now? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I wanted to have a, a little bit of fun conversation. This actually, again, was the Kassan brought it to our attention, but it was something that Gail Simone posed over on Twitter. And I think since we've got a writer on the show, it's a good opportunity. She said, you get to write one DC Marvel crossover with a top artist drawing of your single favorite character from each company. Who is your pick? Troy, you're, you, since you're the guest, you can go first. And I'm going to tell you right now, it wouldn't work. <laughs> <laughs> you get my historical favorite Marvel character is Cyclops. Okay. My historical favorite DC character would be the original longtime version of the Wally West Flash. Oh. Like, okay. As in the whole, from the transition he made from sidekick to the Flash, Crisis and Inventors, that subsequent series with everybody up to Wade taking over and taking it through Terminal Velocity and everything. That, that made Wally my favorite DC character is of sidekick that realized the promise of becoming the hero and I, I have no idea how the hell you'd make that work with cyclops but and i for me the reason that i've always liked cyclops so much is like i said i discovered x-men at a very young age and he was very emblematic of what the x-men were he couldn't control his power but he was the most disciplined one he was the guy that in some ways could never have a normal life even nightcrawler for a time had that image inducer that he wore it's like hey i'm not Blue and furry. Yeah, you walk around in public. Nobody knows. And right. it's like, yeah, I can't take my glasses off. You'll all die. So he had this thing that he he made himself the peak of strategy, et cetera, all the different things that he did because he knew he's never going to be normal. And I think that's one of the things that kind of appealed to me about him so much. But I wouldn't know how to make those work so, together. That that said, I absolutely love the Legion of Superheroes. So I could probably find anybody from Marvel and make the Legion of Superheroes work. <laughs> I was going to say, so then challenge your writer brain and what two characters do you think would work together? I don't know. It's the, There's a whole lot of teen characters, I think, that could work really well just because they have the similar 
circumstances. Cyclops and Batman would be an interesting thing because they're all about the discipline and the holding people emotionally. So that. Yes. It'd be interesting to see what that's like. And Batman would probably judge him for everything that went down with Madeline Priories. It's not my fault. It was editorial. But uh, I, I, that there, one of the things I mentioned, I mentioned to the House of X series, there's the great scene in that where they're trying to destroy the mother mold satellite and Charles and Magneto were talking about the risk that it's almost assured to be failure and Cyclops is, does it need to be destroyed? They said, yes, he's, then it will be. And I'm like, that's everything you need to know about that character right there. He's, he's not going to let these guys down. He's, he's going to do whatever has to be done because that's what he does. And I just really related to that. <laughs> just, Wow. Because especially I think that one of the things that's attractive to the characters that you form on, I always love Batman. I love Batman when I was a little kid. There, there's certain things that appeal to you about Batman. I'm never going to hate Batman. But I think that you, some things you ebb and flow with what you are most connected to. And so I'm, I'm, and I've always, I don't know why. Funny because there are a lot of people in my age group or younger, Spider-Man is their all-time favorite. I love Spider-Man, but I was never the biggest follower of Spider-Man. Watched him in cartoons, watched him on TV, watched him in movies, but it's <laughs> never the biggest follower in the comic for whatever reason. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Maybe right. because even when I started, he had four books. And... <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think he had... he had three. I'm pretty sure it was like amazing. Peter Parker, Spectacular Spider-Man, and then he had Web. And of Web of. Yeah. Web of launched right around when I started reading too. Yeah. My, so. my first, and, and team up, my first individual issue of Spider-Man was Spectacular Spider-Man, Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man that introduced Razorback. Yes. The, uh, truck driving, <laughs> Arkansas. Yep. Uh, that's my, that my first Spider-Man comic. That was a fun time for villains. <laughs> yeah. All yeah, right. It, yeah. Yeah. Let's, I, I think I could do anybody the the Legion. What's also funny is there's a period of time because Matt Brady and I had done the Batman 80 page giant and other stuff. There's mm -hmm. a lot of pitches we made for different ideas at DC. And some of them were crazy. <laughs> some of them were team up ideas or team ideas. It's funny because there are a couple of characters that we talked about using that the people have actually done stuff with that, that reinvigorated them. My, the funniest one is Kite Man. Hell yeah. Uh, oh, wow. The boost the Kite Man got, yeah, hell yeah, got from the Batman run and the Harley Quinn cartoon. And like people yep. know who Kite Man is now. And like, I can't believe it. <laughs> Tom King did great work bringing him to the consciousness. Yeah. All right. Yeah. JD, how about you? All crossovers suck. That's the truth. There's not a lot of them. <laughs> they do. They're not good. The only one I ever liked was the X Men Titans one. Oh, with Walt Simonson. That one was pretty good. The rest of them, I don't know, man. It just, I never got into them. That being said, my favorite character is, of course, Spider Man, Superman. I don't think that makes for a great. It's been done, right? So, yeah. Eh, no interest. But if I were to do one, I would want to see Superman and Wolverine. I don't love oh. Wolverine, but I think that's, I think the dichotomy of the characters would make for an interesting story because these are two people that would not get along. Yeah. All right. Okay, John, you've got a look on your face like you've got a good one up your sleeve. You're muted. Constantine and Loki. Constantoki. <laughs> because you never know you'd never know which one was going to betray the other first. And Constantine had taken on gods before, so it'd be a fun story. You know, yeah, that could be, be fun. It'd be like a buddy movie, except with serial killers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. That could be fun. That could be fun, yeah. So it's funny because I did think about this because 
obviously my two favorite are from the either camp would be Batman and Spider-Man, but that's been also done. So I gave it some thought. I thought Rocket Raccoon and Lobo doing like sure. a space. Oh like, no, that would be just fun to watch. Like bikers in space kind of road picture kind of a comic. It would be until Lobo decided that he wanted to put a muzzle on. Exactly. Rocket. Like, like they're not going to get along just for so the nature. Of you could do it. You could do it like midnight run. Like Lobo has a bounty on the rocket raccoon. There and then go. the two oh. of them are coming back through space. That would actually, I just sold myself on that. That would be all right. <laughs> <laughs> See, I knew it was a good idea. So cool. Wow. That was, that went faster than I thought it was going to. <laughs> <laughs> you drag it out. Yeah. Actually, you know what? I was thinking of another question while we were talking, and I'm just curious because we were talking about IP and people's hands being tied with characters and whatnot. So with the ISIS character, are you free to tell whatever story you want? Did they give you any kind of rules for how they want the character presented? We haven't hit that, to be okay. honest, because I've read a bunch of the material, and so I had an idea of what the vibe was overall and knew that, not that Darren had rules or whatever, he had a, a feeling of some superhero-y kind of stuff. And so that that was the vibe of the pitch. I wasn't like, nothing will ever be the same. She's now a cyborg. It was more of, here is an adventure that I think would fit the overall vibe. And we, it wasn't long-term. It was pitched as a mini. I think it's different. I don't. It, here's a good flip out of your question. I don't think that it's a secret that when I did the Blood Queen book at Dynamite, that it was contracted for and originally supposed to be long as opposed to six issues and then another okay. yeah uh, and i had I, I think at the end of the day i think that we had really different ideas of what that was gonna be <laughs> okay and but had given the chance i would have been able to tell a much longer story that i had in there for a long period of time but right. it didn't. And I, even when I did the Blood Queen versus Dracula mini, I referenced things that happened in between time that were stuck, things that would have happened in the book, just in case ever did get to go back and do anything with it. But I think that, too, that can be a danger of, unless you've got an absolute ironclad guarantee, man, there's no way to plan out stuff anymore <laughs> unless it's your own. And part of that problem, too, is that the first issue of that sold extremely well and but there was no real promotion or anything for it after the first issue because right. like a lot of there are a lot of companies that serially promote the first issue and not subsequent issues yeah i'm not blaming the whole thing on that but when you make a big deal out of the first issue and you've got like a midtown comics exclusive cover and all this stuff that it had and black and white covers for signing when you put it you sell like ten thousand copies of a thing and then the next one has a big dip it's, was it me <laughs> promotion was it what else came out that month there's that whole thing but then it's you're not getting you're not telling people to stick around for the long yeah. haul and i think that it was i there might have been a little bit of an expectation that it was more of a bad girl book than what i was actually writing uh, so I don't know if you guys have read it or have any memory of it at all. It's been a while, but it's just an expectation of versus reality of, I think that there were some people that wanted it to be, and this isn't a knock, 
like Zenoscope stuff that I was also doing when it was right. really more of a fantasy thing yeah. that was informed by Hammer Studios kind of stuff. It yeah, is, I, I'm pretty sure someone sent me a copy of the first one, and I'll be honest with you. I knew you were doing Zenoscope stuff, so I was expecting that a little bit too. And it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I, so, and, like I said, I'm not trying to. I had a lot of fun writing a lot of the Zenoscope books, but it's a very different kind of thing. It's yes. more of a, it's more of a self-aware vibe that what they got. And yes, with the Elizabeth Bathory thing, my first experience with Elizabeth Bathory as an idea outside of Ripley's Believe It or Not the historical was the hammer movies and so right. like oh what if we made something that was like a hammer movie but it was like a uh political fantasy a little bit of that like market court machinations and the witches versus the different characters and that was to me what was interesting about it was it's like the court stuff and eventually she would be this character but they had this thing of they wanted to really rush it to making the character as she appeared issue to issue that cover image that Jay Anacleto drew. <laughs> as opposed to what the story was. It's very weird. I don't know. I'm never going to understand it fully. It's, I would, I've driven myself a little nuts going, I don't know. <laughs> I know that my editor on that book, Molly Mahan, was tremendous. And she, ended up getting lots of other editorial work because she deserved it. And she was awesome. Yeah, she's uh, cool. Yeah. But she was great. And I, every time I said something crazy where I'm like, I want to name all the story arcs after Slayer songs, she or Slayer albums. And she's like, great. <laughs> she was very, very supportive. We lost Dave. So Dave? I guess, yeah, Dave is gone. Dave, are you there? Are you there, Dave? I guess wow. based on that, it's time to, to call it a little bit. Uh, Troy, think, thanks a lot for coming on. John, what did you learn? I think what Dave, do you recommend? What do you I was going to say, I think Dave's cat got a little too frisky. It's possible. Um, it's possible. With, so, some, with a cord or something. Yeah. Oh, gee, I didn't expect it like it really did. I, I shotgunned an entire two seasons of an anime called The Devil is a Part-Timer. Sorry, JD. No, really expensive, weird. Yeah, I know. Yeah, usually the, the titles are way wackier, but... Oh, so that that's my, I don't know, that's my recommendation today. Mine is, I just finished a book, Death of the Territories. It's a nonfiction book about the end of the territorial system in professional wrestling in the 1980s. What a fascinating read this was by uh, Tim Hornbaker. Absolutely interesting book. If, you have, if you're like me and you're a wrestling nerd and want to learn something, can't say enough good things about that. I learned absolutely, actually I did learn a lot, Troy. This was a good conversation. Usually I say I didn't learn nothing, but I did. This was a good talk. I can't <laughs> go with my gimmick this week. So yes, that's where I'm at. How about you, man? You're guesting with us this week. Is there anything you have to recommend or that you learned? Oh, let's see. I'm going to go with, I learned that you guys feel the same way I do about a lot, <laughs> a lot of the stuff that's been going on lately. I haven't talked in a while, so it's kind of like, oh, hey, that that's cool. But I recommend, I'm going to just say, I've mentioned a couple of people here. I'm going to recommend the stuff that my pal David's doing at Marvel. For a lot of the stuff that we talk about, the problems and everything of existing within that kind of structure. And I think David has gotten to tell some interesting stories. He had he did the Hulk annual that came out this week where he pitched it as a found footage horror movie starring the Hulk. That's a and cool idea. Actually made it cool. work. 
they actually made it work in the comic, which is amazing because he was, he's, I don't know if this will work, but <laughs> and it works. It's just, I've never seen anybody really apply that. I've seen stuff with that's in the point of view of a news broadcast or whatever, or famously in Daredevil Born Again, you've got Ben Urich on the street describing the arrival of the Avengers while Hell's Kitchen is on fire and everything, but that's a little more poetic. It's not really done where you're, you're, the lens is literally the lens where you're looking at the, the camera at the stuff going on and like how regular people would experience the Hulk. It's a great idea. Great. And, like a clover, clover field with the Hulk. We're cool. Yeah. Wow. Very, I'll check that out. Very much. Well, and he's doing the Moon Knight City of the Dead comic coming up too, which looks to be a lot of fun. And I know he, he puts a lot of thought <laughs> And how he applies some of this stuff. So I'm really curious to see how it turns out. So I don't mind boosting my buddy. And over at Tidal Wave, please do check out the Midnight Witch stuff from Paolo Yanami and sometimes me, because he's worked with other like Brazilian writers like Rodrigo Montero and so forth. And sometimes Rodrigo and I have worked together wherever in English scripts oh, and he's done the Portuguese script <laughs> to go with it. Cool stuff over there that Paolo's doing. Midnight Witch. And I look for it on Amazon. <laughs> D- Dave, we were doing likes and recommendations because we thought you were gone. And what- <laughs> I don't know. My my cable modem's downstairs. All of a sudden, it disappeared from the list of networks, and I was lost. So I've got my mobile hotspot on my phone to finish up here. <laughs> so, Dave, Dave, likes and recommendations? Likes, likes and recommendations this week. <laughs> wow. I got nothing. I was going to say what I learned was the comic industry sucks. <laughs> <laughs> At this point. It does now. <sighs> For now, I think uh, I don't know. I think they're gonna have to make some changes. I don't know. Ha- we know what eventually, but I do think eventually they're gonna have to be like, if it's going to manga style, if it's going prestige format, eventually it's gonna it's gonna have to change. But I also recommend that people head on over to superheroespeak.com where they can find the podcast every week. Links to all our social media at the top of the page. Of course, comments by a good friend, Kristen. I also will recommend that if you are watching this right now, and maybe, just maybe, you found us, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Click that bell for notifications so you won't miss us when we go live right here on this channel every Sunday night at 8.30 Eastern. Yeah. All right. So I think on that note, as, oh, hold on. My mouse went away. Okay. As always, <laughs> thanks for listening. And don't let you keep me caught in the door. Have a good week.